for tonight. For tonight, uh, I've got a message uh, by the uh, titled "The Harlot." Anybody know what that means? Harlow. No, it's not Merlot. It's not like wine. Harlot. What's what's it mean? Prostitute. Whoa. No. Well, maybe. Um, and I want to. Uh, here's kind of my. Uh, I never know how to start. Uh, every every generation is known known for something, right? Like every single generation is known for something. Like my generation, the millennial generation, is known for being the quote unquote entitled generation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, Gen X is uh, kind of known for like the individualistic generation, kind of the make it your own way kind of generation. Baby, the baby booner. Uh. Yeah, I'm going out of order. I'm going out of order. I'm going out of order. Baby boomers are known for like being materialistic and kind of the consumerist, right? Why we're dealing with some of the things we're dealing with today, you know, is usually, is, right, the housing market, you know, all of these kinds of things we can, you know, blame. Okay, boomer, right? <laughs> That's where that came from, right? And so on and so forth. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what Gen Z is really known for. I don't know what you guys are known for. Being tech and like full of anxiety. I don't know. <laughs> what? Mental health issues. Short -term I, gratification. I, yeah, that might be a good one too. So we we have all these late, like kind of what what generations are known for, and then I was thinking of like okay, what like world religions are known for, right? Like Buddhists, right? What are Buddhists usually known for? Being pretty peaceful and Zen people, right? Meditation. I'm going to put on an orange or brown robe, whatever it might. I don't even know that much about it, obviously. Shave their head, sure. I mean, why not? Yeah, it's like the stacking of the rocks stuff. I don't know. I don't know much about it. My neighbor is one. Uh, she's weird. But more power to her. Uh, Jews are usually known for being really business savvy and successful, right? Um, Muslims are usually... a Pretty committed people, full of zeal kind of people, um, just because their religion requires it of them, right? Um, and I got to thinking, like, what are what are Christians known for? You know, everybody has a different, like, answer to that, right? If you're outside of the church, you have an answer. If you're inside the church, you have an answer. And if you look at the word, it might be a different answer, Right? I mean, so I guess the way I'll answer it is Christians are supposed to be known by our love for him and to others, right? That's what Christians are supposed to be known for. So everybody's almost known for something. And we can do this with like career paths as, as well, right? Like engineers are usually arrogant and full of themselves and think that they're better than everybody else. <laughs> I was hoping David would be here because I really wanted to say that. 
you know, that's usually, and then the blue collar, you know, trades guys are just like, oh, whatever, man, I'm going to make it happen. And the world hates me, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you have all of these, you know, white collar guys are usually, I don't know, I don't even know. Do you get what I'm talking about, though? We're all usually known for something, right? And I, uh, I was I was thinking and asking the Lord, what is wrong? And frankly, what is wrong with where we're at today as Christians? You ready to go there with me? <laughs> like, what is what is wrong? And and then the, kind of the second part of it is, how do I protect myself from falling into what's wrong? Right. We have to first establish what is wrong, and then how do I protect myself from not following into the stereotype that I don't want to be, of actually being that Christian who is known by his love, right? The two greatest commandments, both are, are, <laughs> uh, have love that encapsulate them, yes? Does this make sense? So, and I really believe that the Lord prompted me this message, you know, and I, I try to only do that, but I've been, I've been reading reading a lot and i feel like the lord's really exposing like what jesus deals with when he when he was on earth and what he really really goes after and handles and almost for lack of a better term and madison's gonna be pissed when i do this but for lack of a better term what he's almost attracted to not in the sense of like oh uh, uh, one thing I ask that they will dwell in my house, not that kind of thing, but like what he's attracted to, like um, who he who he encounters and the miracles that we see throughout his ministry and all of these different things. Do you get what I'm talking about? Right. What kind of what kind of makes him change directions almost. Right. There's a lot of stories in Scripture where Jesus is just passing through an area. And then all of a sudden, wham, something majestic happens in the midst. Yep. And usually there was a point A to point B, but then there was this in-between area, which I call the passing through area, that just crazy things would happen. Right? You know what I mean? And I got to thinking, like, okay, what, why, I don't know. I, I can't, I, I don't know how to say this any other way, but I feel like, so forgive me, I, I'm going to poke some buttons. I feel like a, like Jesus has a thing for harlots. Okay? And you're like, what is he doing tonight? But I feel like he's got something in that. And I want to talk about a couple stories, but just to kind of level the playing field, like think of Israel in, a, in its entirety, right, in, in Scripture. They are a complete harlot group of people. They always spit in his face, but yet he continues to provide. You get what I mean now, right? And I think of, and we'll talk maybe about this story if, uh, for, if, if we have time, but I think of like uh, the, the woman caught in adultery and everybody's surrounding her and with stones in hand and Jesus steps in and I don't know what he writes down in the sand, but then all of a sudden everybody drops their stones and walks away. Jesus has a thing for <laughs> harlots. He, there's something in him that wants to deal with them, wants to 
take care of them, wants to help them, wants, wants, there's something in him that wants to get them out of that. So he always intersects. I mean, think of even us, right? At the end of the day, like, if, if we really want to look deep inside of ourselves, when I sin, I'm a harlot, right? When I sin, I am separated from God. Therefore, I'm, 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 a, I'm prostituting myself for something lesser than him. Does that make sense? Right? Or if I only gave, even just like, uh, you know, a pastor speaking freely, if I only gave sermons that you guys wanted to hear, I'd be a prostitute. I'd be an entertainer. Right? Or if worship leaders only sing the songs that, you know, people want to hear or that, you know, I've been in staff meetings before where it's like, how do we get more people raising their hands during worship? Not here, I promise. <laughs> but how do we how do we get people, you know, just to raise their hands? I don't really care if they're worshiping, but just the outward expression, right? All of these things. And we we curate these things to actually make the church for people instead of ministering to him. And that's prostitution. Do you get what I'm talking about tonight? Yeah? You with me? Okay. And we see we see throughout all of scripture where Jesus deals with dualistic lifestyles, right? Lukewarm lifestyles, one foot in, one foot out kind of lifestyles. And we almost see his affection and attention drawn to that so that he can deal with it quickly. And again, like in some sense, he's actually drawn to prostitutes. And in other senses, he's drawn to the act of his people selling themselves for an idol or a lesser, a lesser God. Get it? That good framework? Does that kind of help you understand what I'm going to get after tonight? Yeah? With me? You engaged with me? You nervous? Not yet? Okay, good. Turn to Genesis 6. Turn to Genesis 6, and I love this story, and frankly, I read it a lot throughout the week because um, it's the Noah's, Noah's Ark story, so I read it a lot to Miller, who's my, my son, and because uh, it's all in the little Jesus children's books, you know, so yeah, it's got all pictures, and elephants are always smiling, and, and it's, you know, they're just happy that they're chosen, right? <laughs> Nobody thought that was funny. Um, but I want to read verses. Actually, does somebody feel like reading tonight? Anybody feel like reading? Who's that? You? Okay, good. I want you to read verses 5 through 14. Everybody there? Okay, let's eat. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness in the earth had become, that every inclination thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was with him. So the Lord said, I will by mankind by creation and the race of man, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time. He 
walking with the kingdom of God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and outside. Perfect. So this is a story that, frankly, if you grew up in the church, you've, you've heard time and time again, right? But I want to I kind of look at it through a different lens tonight, obviously. Um, the Lord is brought to this point of watching his creation be very, very far from him. Yes? This is the point where the Nephilim are wandering around on the, on the earth, whatever your stance on the Nephilim is. But <laughs> they're all wandering around on the earth, and it's just chaos. And it gets to this point where Noah is the Noah and his family, sorry, Noah and his family are the only ones who believe in the Lord. The only family on the on the on the face of the earth. And the Lord is like a grieved parent at this point, right? I mean, it's it sucks. I mean, I, I never want to do that to the to to the Lord, right? Where I grieve him to such an extent, right? Um and the Lord was feeling such a sense of grief, almost as a parent watching his child choose a, a lesser life for themselves, right? It's like that rebellious stage that maybe some of you guys went through, just like, oh, and your parents are just like bummed, like, oh, man, I thought I raised you better <laughs> kind of thing, yeah. right? The Lord kind of feels that in the same sense, right, of, oh, man, I've got greater things in store for them, yet here we are, right? Here we are where I've got one family left that gives a damn about me, right? And it's like, oh, man, what, what has happened? So the cool thing is, is Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord here for obvious reason, yes? Because he stood to what he believed, yes? And this is, um, this is, a, this is a moment in Scripture where I, I, I see the, the harlot lifestyle appear on the scene, right? We see the people at that time, choosing everything but the Lord himself. And I often forget, Krishna, is your, are you still open? Go to verse, read verse 3 for us. I often forget what verse 3 says, so read that real quick for us. Okay. And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. What's he saying here? He's given man a final shot of saying, hey, I'll give you 120 years to figure your stuff out, right? What do, we, what do we learn about the Lord here? That he's a patient God, that he sees the evil, and he gives man every single opportunity to turn back to him. 120 years is a long time, right? We're lucky if we get there. Or, I don't know, it depends on the way you look at it. I don't want to be a 120 Yeah, yeah. I mean, they did live longer, but still 120 years, period, is 120 years. Yeah. It's a long time that, hey, the Lord's wooing nature was taking place of saying, come back to me. I've got better things in store. I, come back to me. Come back to me. All of this kind of stuff. Are you getting me? Right? So 120 years passes, and then wham, 
Nobody turns back. But Noah took a different stance despite everybody else turning their back. Yes? Are you seeing this? And I don't know if we've ever really thought of this, but I feel like that would be kind of hard. Right? Imagine there was no more churches. All the people in this room said, eh, never mind. Right? It was all fraud. No, nobody believed anymore, and you and your family were the last ones. Like, you would be like, I, I would think, and I, I know I would be like, am I just a lunatic? What's going on? Right? There's trusted people in my life. You know, if Pastor Reese all of a sudden was just like, nah, I think I'm good, you know? Like, that would be wild because I respect him and, you know, all of that stuff. And it's like, would I take a stance of Noah? So I guess that's my first charge to you is, would you take a stance of Noah? You're the last one on earth. All your friends leave. And yet the Lord says even something more radical. You're living in the middle of the desert. And he says, hey, build a big boat. A flood's coming. Right? And you're like, oh. <laughs> right? And you make this big boat in the middle of the desert because you think a voice in your head said, hey, a flood's coming. Are you getting me? Right? We all think, oh, this is just normal. Of course. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> Duh. The Lord spoke to him. Well, <laughs> you know, I hope you're grabbing this. So he makes this big old boat. And I mean, imagine what people were thinking of this guy. Right? Not only did he dig his heels in and believe in the Lord when everybody else turned their back, but now he's building a boat. Are you with me? So in the midst of a harlot generation that Noah's living in, right, this dualistic lifestyle, this, hey, I'm, I'm cheating on the Lord, choosing lesser things, you get it, right? In the midst of this, now Noah even digs his heels in even more. He didn't sell out. Okay? Uh, read verse 22 for me, Christian. Noah did everything just as God so he did everything that the Lord commanded him to. Yes? Again, this is, I feel like we're just glazing by this little Sunday school story, but this is a big deal. He dug his heels in. He did everything according to what the Lord commanded. And you can read this entire story. There's a very precise way that the Lord wanted this boat to be built even. Okay? Very, very precise. He even nailed that. <laughs> okay? All right. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know. Not intended. When people are rejecting God, they are harlots to their first love. When people are rejecting God, they are harlots to their first love. Noah knew where he stood in the world and had great confidence in his relationship and the reality of God in his life. Do you? You have great confidence in your relationship with the Lord and the reality of him in your life. I want us all to get to a point where we have great confidence. Where we really, really, really know that he's there. 
and that he knows me and that I know him. Right? Because this means that there's no, there's no doubt in my brain. Right? Imagine just if I was walking around all my life doubting that Madison loved me, my wife. Right? That would be, a, I'd be a loose cannon, right? I would be a mess. Do, and I feel like sometimes we're in the same place where we're doubting our first love. Where we're doubting the one who created us. Where we're doubting that we actually do have a relationship with the Lord. And I want you to guard yourself from that. I really, really want to urge you to guard yourself from that. And dig your heels in and say, no, he's real. He's there no matter what's going on, no matter what's hitting the fan. He's there. He's real. He is who he says he is. Yes? Otherwise, if doubt slips in, we start, how do I say it better? When doubt slips in, we start minimizing our relationship with him. Does that make sense? If I'm doubting his affection for me, if I'm doubting that I have a relationship with him, I... I'm, I'm essentially, I'm, I'm getting into scary, scary waters, right? Because that means that area of doubt, I've got to go find sustenance for somewhere else. And that's the way it goes, right? All of us do that, right? I'm lonely, so what do I do? Well, <laughs> you fill in the blank, right? You either run to the Lord or you run to someone else. You try to get accepted by somebody else. You get it? So what we can glean from this story is that when floods and storms come, our wisdom and opinions don't matter. Only our understanding of God himself matter. Hello? Does that make sense? Right? Because a big old flood came. And he still didn't waver. And you're like, well, duh, he was obedient and he's got the boat. He's the smart one. I get it. <laughs> but like... I don't know, floating around for as long as he did. Be like, well, where's this water going to go? You know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe that's just me. Okay. But then we can fast forward all the way to chapter 8, verses 20. And, I'll, and you can read it on your own time. Noah understood this progression. Okay? I'm going to try to communicate this progression as best as I can. His obedience brought provision. And walking in provision enabled him to live. And then, then to live enabled him to offer a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was so pleasing to the Lord that a covenant was established. Does that make sense? You see the progression that takes place? And it all starts with what? Obedience. When you're obedient to somebody, what's that truly actually mean? You trust them. Right? You understand the reality of them. Right, I could I could go get uh, Miller, if he were here. I could go get him, build a huge tower where his head's touching the top of the ceiling, and I would go like this and say jump, and because he trusts me, he would jump. Right, but say if Zach did that same thing, right? If Zach did that same thing, he understands that I'm a smaller individual than him. <laughs> right, and he's like, well, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Right? This could get sketchy. Right? Not saying that maybe he doesn't trust me and maybe quote unquote leadership, but and my ability to catch him from falling, probably not trusting me. You get it? 
Hello? Does that make sense? When, we, when you're obedient to somebody, you truly trust them. Yes? Okay. So I just want to say that progression one more time because I think it's pretty cool. Well, let me fast forward. Let me back up for a second. When the water settled, the first thing that Noah did was he stepped, he, he got off the boat and then took all of the clean animals and sacrificed them. Like, whoa, why? <laughs> well, because he understood the provision of the Lord. Yes? He sacrificed all of the clean animals, and there was this fragrance of this sacrifice on the altar that was so, so pleasing to the Lord that the Lord established a covenant, not only with Noah, but with also us, right? That's where the rainbow thing comes from, right? Where we see the rainbow, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's never going to flood again, right? <laughs> yes? And it's super cool. So do you see the progression? Obedience brought the provision. The provision enabled him to live. And the enabling of living, or him, him living, enabled him to offer a perfect, perfect sacrifice of life. And that sacrifice was so wonderful that it changed history. It changed history. You know, we're still walking in that today. Just because of one man and his family continued to say yes to the Lord. And didn't say, I'm gonna, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waver, I'm not gonna prostitute myself. I am going to stay steadfast to the Lord. Isn't that cool? Right? Man, imagine being in that kind of history book. That's sick, dude, right? Some of you guys like just want to turn your eyelids inside out and say, look at I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records. But like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like. There's a rainbow in the sky because of one man's obedience. You get it? That was a part of a creation. That was an absolute saying, I love my people again. That's wild. Okay. It is to me. Then we can look at the next, next story. So there's Noah, okay? Holding steadfast to the Lord, not wavering, trusting the Lord, completely being obedient. Yes? Then the next one doesn't get talked about often, but I think it's kind of a fun one. I want to talk about the Israelites and Moses, okay? Not the progression of their journey all the way through, but before that, okay? I want to talk about Pharaoh a little bit. Everybody know Pharaoh? This punk, right? <laughs> he was. Pharaoh. And you can read all about this in Exodus, okay? For the sake of time, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go. Oh yeah, that's good. Okay, we're not gonna really uh, read much of it. And if you want this, I made this little chart just for my sake. If you want this, let me know after. Okay, we'll talk about it. Okay, so um, Moses is approaching. Pharaoh, time after time, and commanding under the voice of the Lord, let my people go. All right? And then all of these plagues hit. We heard about the plagues, the 10 plagues. Yeah? Okay? If you haven't, there was a bunch of plagues that hit, all because of Pharaoh. Okay? All because of this one man led to a lot of people getting impacted. For the worse, right? Noah, 
<laughs> his obedience brought a wonderful thing that all of us are getting to walk into today, right? Pharaoh brought a whole nother mess of things that took place, okay? So there's these 10 plagues, and I'll go through them quick just so I can get to my main point. But there was the plague of blood. Anybody know what the plague of blood was? The river, yeah? Why was the river, why was the river red? Because <laughs> he wouldn't let the people go. Nice. Very good. Very good. Yes. Um, but all the fish die in the river. And the, the river starts to smell. And it turns red. And all of their drinking water, gone. All because, why? He wouldn't let the people go. Get ready for that. We're just going to do that the whole time, okay? And the result of this is, um, actually, magicians tried to duplicate this miracle, if you will, okay? And tried to source this stuff up and, you know, try to reverse it. Didn't work. Pharaoh's heart got hardened. He was unmoved and said, no, I'm not letting the people go, okay? Then the second plague was frogs, which is a weird plague, but whatever. <laughs> that would annoy me, too. Frogs came up from the water and covered literally all of the land. Okay, again, magicians tried to duplicate it by sorcery, and Pharaoh unmoved. Okay, these are the only, these are the easy ones. As it goes on, it gets nastier and nastier. Then we've got the plague of gnats. Anybody know gnats? Gnats are freaking annoying, dude, and they're just stupid. Why do they exist? So. To put it in perspective, this plague was all of the dust of Egypt became swarms of gnats. Imagine that, dude. It's like noon and it's dark because of all the gnats flying around. I don't know. That's my way my brain works. But magicians, again, unable to reverse it. And the magicians start to acknowledge this is the finger of God. That's what they call it, the finger of God. Right, saying, hey, look out, God's, <laughs> God's not happy right now. Okay? Well, guess what? Pharaoh's unmoved. Still won't let them go. Okay? Everybody's getting affected by this, except for the Israelites. Okay? okay let's keep going. Livestock. The plague of livestock happens. All of Egyptians... Uh, uh, Livestock dies, but none of the Israelites' livestock even gets sick. Okay? So you can see that there's obviously a target. Yeah? But Pharaoh, again. Um, oh, sorry, I missed the flies. He's unmoved there, but, but uh, with the plague of flies, sorry, swarms of flies cover the land. And at this point, Pharaoh promises release, but then his heart hardens again and changes his mind. Okay? All because he won't be obedient to what the Lord's saying. Then, a plague of boils. Anybody have a boil? No, don't admit to that. That's gross. <laughs> Horrible boils cover all of the Egyptians. Guess who's untouched? The Israelites. 
So all of the Egyptians, Pharaoh himself covered in boils, just looking awful, right? And in such pain. Um, and magicians are unable, unable to respond because they are so miserable by these boils. And again, Pharaoh is unmoved. Then the plague of hail comes. Hail comes in to such an extent that it kills all of the slaves, all of the animals, and all of the crop. Why? He wouldn't let the people go. Pharaoh, at this point, admits that he's sinned against God, but changes his mind and is unmoved. It's like, ah, never mind. I think I'm good. I'm making up my own theology at this point, which we'll touch on in a second. Then the plague of locusts takes place. The locusts cover, land, cover all the land and eat everything left after the hail. So you couldn't even pick up a leaf to try to eat it after the hailstorm, hail right? And everybody advises to let the Israelites go. Everybody at this point is like, dude, we've got a target on us. Listen to the Lord. Let them go. Let them go. Pharaoh is unmoved. And his heart is continued to be hardened. Then, uh, the plague of darkness. This one's wild, dude. It's dark for three days. And no one can move. <laughs> it's dark for three days and no one can move. But guess who can? And guess who can see? The Israelites. They're unaffected by it. Isn't that wild? Maybe just to me. They couldn't move. Pharaoh promises to let them go, but then changes his mind again and is unmoved, all because he won't listen to the command of the Lord. And then the last plague, and then I'll get to my point. Last plague is all the firstborn people and cattle all die. Wow. <laughs> Pharaoh and the Egyptians urge Israel to get out of their land quickly. But then what? He changes his mind and starts chasing after them. So this is wild, yeah? So not only does this show the power of the Lord, but also it shows the precision of the Lord, and I think that's freaking amazing. Right? Yeah, he started chasing them. That's why Moses had to make the sea split. Remember that? So there's so much imagery in all this, and again, we won't get into it. But I want to focus on, what I want to focus on is Pharaoh and his stubbornness, his pride, and his arrogance. Okay? This is a harlot lifestyle. This one's interesting. I agree. It's very, very weird because you're almost selling yourself for yourself. You think your ways are higher. And you refuse to allow the Lord to work. Yes? Are you, seeing, are you seeing what's going down here? Right? Pharaoh, for whatever reason, we won't get too much into it, but for whatever reason, he was so stubborn and, and cost people their lives, cost people their health, cost people their, their sustenance, their provision, cost people their careers. Just because he was like, well, I'm Pharaoh, remember? 
I'm important, remember? Right? And he was pretty important. I mean, he was ruling all of Egypt. He wasn't just some guy, you know? But his arrogance led to an entire generation getting screwed. For lack of a better term. Right? Well, I could have come up with a better term, but you get my point. Right? They got absolutely demolished. And it's a harlot lifestyle. So you see, what Pharaoh didn't realize is that he actually had a God-given gift of leadership, authority, and position that he prostituted for his own gain. Do you get that? Do you understand that the Lord is the only one who creates? Yes? I think sometimes we forget that. It's like, oh man, the schemes of the devil are so mysterious and, and so creative. Nah, it's actually not that creative. <laughs> okay? The Lord is the only one who creates. The Lord is the only one who can actually give gifts and talents. Do you understand that? Right? So if you can either, easy one, you can either play guitar for the Lord or play guitar for not him. And sometimes that's for yourself. That sometimes is for other people. That sometimes is for what well, you fill in the blank. Right? Does that make sense? He's given all of you guys special gifts, yes, that are God-given, and it's up to us to use those gifts to glorify him and to make him, quote-unquote, known, if I, for lack of a better word, right? Does that make sense? So he had a God-given gift of leadership, authority, position, and he prostituted it for his own gain. And we can see how the Lord may slash can deal with such a person. Right? You can put a target right on their back, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. I would not want to be on that side of the that side of the coin, if you will. Right? I don't I don't want to welcome that over my life at all. Right? Imagine me being so arrogant and full of myself that I'm actually leading you guys astray so that I can gain people's approval. That's exactly what Pharaoh was trying to do. He was trying to gain position and stature so that he could fill his ego and prove himself. Yes? So no matter who you are, you have a God-given purpose for your life, but it's our decision whether we walk in that or not. When we walk outside of the Lord's plans, that's a pride, stubborn, and arrogant, arrogant thinking and essentially saying, Lord, my ideas are better than yours. Right? Imagine the Lord giving you plans for a, a, a business. And you're just like, well, I just, I'm just going to do this so that I can, I can be prosperous and so I can fill my pockets and screw everybody else. Right? But he gave you those plans. He, he's the one who created that. He's the one who spoke that into existence before all things. Yes? Are you with me? Does that make sense? Yeah. We've got to be careful. We've got to be very careful. Um, maybe think of it this way. This is my favorite example. Some of you guys might have already heard this. Does everybody know who Adele is? Adele? Like the Adele who sings the, you know, all the really good songs? Hello. Right? Do you know who she is? Yeah. yeah. Adele has an incredible voice, right? A voice that literally people stop and marvel at. 
and pay thousands of dollars so that they can go hear her voice, right? Yes? Are you with me? I believe Adele should be the best worship pastor leader ever created. Have you ever thought of that? Like, she should be the best. Why? Well, because it's not, I'm not going to say that Adele's demon-possessed, right? That would be crazy, right? But what I am saying is, like, she has a God-given gift, right? She can go places with her voice that some of us dream about, right? I think of other musicians, like, man, you can dance all over the all the, over the drum kit. You can dance all over the neck of the guitar. And man, what kind of sound could you bring and offer to the Lord if you were walking in the understanding that he gave it to you? You get it? I believe that Adele should be the best worship leader ever, ever. Because God gifted her with that voice. She's just using it for other, other things. And I don't know her, so obviously. But she's using it for other, other gain instead of what was actually intended for. Does that make sense? At the end of the day, we are to take a Moses stance. Prior to every single plague, Moses offers a warning from the Lord to Pharaoh. You know that? Every single time. Hey, let my people go, because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. Right? Pharaoh knew. But he was still stubborn, arrogant, all that kind of stuff. We need to take a, a, a Moses stance of saying, hey, I understand what the Lord is saying, and I want to partner with him. Yes? Because otherwise, we're harlots. And look at it. I mean, frankly, Pharaoh tried to arm wrestle with the Lord and caused himself and the people around him great pain and suffering. And I believe when we do this, maybe it won't be the same scale that Pharaoh caused, but it will cause pain and suffering to someone. Yes? When we're not walking in our God-given abilities, we are holding somebody back from their provision and purposing as well. Does that make sense? But Moses' stance caused his people to be completely protected and unscathed. In the plague of darkness, it wasn't dark for the Israelites. And none of the Israelites' livestock was dead. They were protected completely because of Moses' obedience. You get it? Still with me? I'm almost done. I'll I'll start wrapping up, I promise. Hang with me just a little bit longer. Okay? Last one that I want to talk about. Last one I want to talk about is Caiaphas. Anybody know who Caiaphas is? No? He's the guy who pretty much had final say on Jesus dying. He's the one who pretty much had final say to Jesus dying. Does anybody feel like reading again? Anybody want to help me out? Please. Okay, thank you. Um, go to, I'll, I'll actually summarize it. Go to Matthew 27, 24, though. 
So what's taking place in this is they, Jesus gets arrested. You know that whole story, right? Judas kisses his cheek and then, hey, he's captured and he's arrested and he gets beat up pretty good. And then he's presented in front of the, the, Roman, um, the Roman government. Yes? Okay. And why is he presented in front of the Roman government? It's because the Jewish leaders don't have authority to put somebody to death. Okay? But what the Jewish leaders did know is if they got enough people on their side that they could get him dead. Okay? So Caiaphas stands up in front of the, in, in front of the crowd and has two men standing on either side of him in my mind. Right? He's got Jesus on one side and he's got Barnabas on the other side. And he's starting to say, hey... What do, you want, what do you want me to do? I've got one guy to let go free. Who do you want me to let go free? And what do they start doing? Anybody know the story? Yes. They start chanting, saying, hey, let Barabbas go. And then they let, he lets him go. He says, okay. But I, I don't find anything wrong with this guy. There's nothing wrong with him. He didn't do anything. Right? And then the, the crowd stirs up. And what's it say? 2724 Matthew Ah oh, man that was going to be really cool if you were ready You see what's taking place? You see it? Even the guy who's putting him to death washes his hands saying I've got nothing to do with this but the entire crowd starts chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What Pilate doesn't understand is he can't wash his hands of this. Right? Any more so than any of you guys, quote unquote, can wash your hands of this. Yes? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes? Hello? Hang with me just a little bit longer. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes? So therefore, we can't wash our hands of this either. We like to call this the mob mentality in our day and age right now, right? Oh, somebody does, something happens to someone, and we jump on this bandwagon and say, kill them. Right? The same way that it took place with Jesus on that day. It literally says, Pilate was like, hey, a riot's about to break out. In, in Mark's account, it says, to appease the crowd, he gave in. In Luke's account, because of the insistent, loud voices asking to kill him, their voices began to prevail, so he gave in. Do you understand how prostituting that is? How a harlot that is? How awful that is. Just because a bunch of people are saying, hey, kill him, kill him, crucify him. Everybody's just like, well, I guess, okay, cool, do it. Are you getting what I'm talking about tonight? Isn't that crazy, dude? That's the mob mentality in its finest form, right? To the extent that we're killing the savior of the universe. Who is without anything wrong with him. Pilate said, dude. I don't see anything wrong with you. Are you the king of the Jews? What's going on? Why is this happening to you? I don't get it. Are you hearing me? Like, that's wild. 
But at the same breath, we are doing this. The American church is doing this. Where I want to compromise my theology to appease you. To appease somebody I really want in the door. So I'll tell them exactly what they want to hear. Right? Where I'm starting to bend ministries. Not me. But we we start bending ministries because, oh, that guy's got deep pockets. We want him at our church. Are you hearing me? This is happening. This is happening. Every single day in churches across this state and worldwide. I saw a picture of a, uh, maybe this is too much, but who cares? I saw a picture of a, a, a church in Africa. And dude, the stage was absolutely decked out. Pastor was in a decked out suit. And look, I mean, the stage looked just gorgeous. One of the most beautiful stages I've ever seen. Then the camera pans to the people. And it's dirt floor. (laughs) Plastic chairs and people in rags. That's prostitution. That's a pharaoh complex. Right? Do you get what I'm talking about? I mean, it's all, I mean, all of the heresies that have ever been birthed are because of this, is a prostitution. Think of Gnosticism, right? Boys, we just studied all of Colossians. Why was that produced? Well, because they were, they were trying to gain, um, grain, gain favor in a, in a sight of, of that people, right? Think of Jehovah Witness. Think of Mormons, Right? It's easy to sign up to be a Mormon. You get a freaking planet, dude. That sounds sick. And right? And a couple wives. <laughs> One's enough, though. Right? <laughs> Do you get it, though? It's all to appease someone. The prosperity gospel was birthed in this, saying, hey, hey, give more to the Lord. Guess what? He'll bless you. Which, yeah, there, obviously he's going to bless you, but it's not going to be because you got Gucci on your feet. Do you get what I'm talking about? That's prostitution. Every single heresy is, built, uh, is founded on this. Every single lack of doctrine and theology is founded on this. How can I appease myself while saying, oh, I've got that fire insurance? Do you get it? We have to be so, so careful. So again, like the beginning of this message, what am I supposed to be as a Christian? And how do I protect myself from anything less than that? How? Well, I need to stand firm just like Noah did. I need to hold fast to my relationship with the Lord and truth. I need to hold fast to Him. Even if I'm the last one standing. Even if I might look like the lunatic. Yeah? Even if I might look like the crazy person building a boat in the middle of the desert. I'm going to hold fast. No matter what the quote-unquote Christian church does. I need to hold fast to what the Lord is doing and what the Lord is saying and what his word is doing. Yes? And I need to take a stance of Moses of saying, hey, be careful, Pharaoh. Be careful, Pharaoh. You don't want to do this to your people. I I, I love those people. You don't want to do this, right? We need to take a Moses stance and we need to protect ourselves from fulfilling our own pride and arrogance and ego. For what? So somebody can go like this? Wow. 
Is that worth it? That's not worth it. We have to protect ourselves. Yes? And lastly, no matter what the mob says, we hold fast. We hold fast. We say, you are the king of the Jews, and you're the king of kings, and you are the Lord of lords, and there's no one like you, and I'm going to hold fast to you. Yeah? Do you understand what I'm talking about? How do we protect ourselves from not being a harlot generation? Man, we've got to. Because whatever opinion or stigma that you have around the Christian church today, it's not what it's supposed to be. Are you hearing me? It's not what it's supposed to be. In Acts, I mean, it was all, everybody gave everything that they had so that everybody was taken care of. It wasn't so that the pastor's pockets could be padded. Everybody was taken care of, right? And if you tried to steal from the Lord, you ended up like Ananias and Sapphira, dead on the ground. Do we understand that that could still happen today? So protect yourself. And I'll finish, okay? Does this make sense? You with me? I tie a good enough bow on that? That makes sense? Okay. Let me pray for us because I just want us to be a people, right? Heaven forbid, even if Encounter Church goes haywire, may this young adults ministry hold fast to being Christians who love the Lord and who hold fast to his word. May it just be us, right? Wouldn't that be cool? Even if the entire American church goes haywire, would we just hold fast? to what is pure, what is proper in the sight of the Lord. Yes? Okay? Even if sometimes we do look like lunatics building a boat in the middle of a desert. So let me pray, pray for us. Lord, would we, would we just be a people who want you above anything else? Would we be a people who hold fast to your word and your word alone? And don't waver just because somebody else or some so-and-so said that or because of some quick one-liner. Would our theology and doctrine not waver? Would we hold fast to your scriptures and so that we know what is true? And Lord, we just invite your, your voice over our lives, your nearness over our lives, and that we would be a people that we would just be a people who stand firm in relationship with you and understanding the reality of who you are. So Lord, start with us. We love you, Lord. We just want to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good? Sorry I went long. <laughs>